this time let us now turn to the Bible and let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We'll be reading at this time all of Isaiah chapter 6. Reading that in connection with Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism. There in Isaiah chapter 6 we read this word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. That's as far as the read. May the Lord bless us in the reading of Scripture. Read that in connection with Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which treats 
keys of the kingdom of heaven, one of which is the preaching of the gospel, which is the focus of the sermon today. At this time we'll read from Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism. On the basis of all of scripture stands the truth of what we have here in our confession. Question 83, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is, the preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline or excommunication out of the Christian church. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the gospel? The answer is thus. When according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent, that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation so long as they are unconverted, according to which testimony of the gospel, God will judge them both in this life and in the life to come. Question 85, how is the kingdom of heaven shut and opened by Christian discipline? The answer is thus, when according to the command of Christ, those who under the name of Christians maintain doctrines or practices inconsistent therewith, and will not, after having been often brotherly admonished, renounce their errors and wicked course of life, are complained of to the church, or to those who are thereunto appointed by the church. And if they despise their admonition, are by them forbidden the use of the sacraments, whereby they are excluded from the Christian church, and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And when they promise and show real amendment, are again received as members of Christ and his church. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the confession teaches, it is our confession that our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the church, given to the church, to our congregation, two spiritual keys to be administered faithfully in the congregation. First, Christ has commanded, as the Catechism teaches us, the church must preach in his name and preach the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ the congregation or where the Lord grants opportunity on a mission field. And secondly, he has commanded the church to administer or exercise Christian admonition or discipline upon those who, by their testimony, 
show themselves to be impenitent or unrepentant. By the faithful use of those two spiritual keys, the Lord teaches us in Scripture, as we confess in the Catechism here, the Church is built up, she is maintained as a faithful Church of Jesus Christ, as a faithful manifestation of the house of God, and thus faithful to be, as 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 teaches, a pillar and ground of the truth. We consider this morning, beloved, the primary or chief key of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the gospel You will remember that in the Belgic Confession, Article 29, this is also a mark of a true church. There are three marks which distinguish the true church from the false church, we confess in the Belgic Confession. They are, as you young people learn in catechism, number one, the preaching of the gospel, number two, the faithful administration of the sacraments, and only two, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and then number three, the administration or exercise of Christian admonition or Christian discipline. By these three marks, which all are intertwined together, one may distinguish between the true church, which submits to the word of Jesus Christ, embraces his ordinances, and follows them in her her work as a church, and her life as a church from the false church who does not submit to the ordinances of Christ, will not submit to his word, but submits rather to the whim, the word, or the traditions that she may have invented. For us as God's people, We may know that true church and maintain, as we do here, our faithful and active membership in the church. The Catechism in Lord's Day 31 emphasizes that the use and the maintenance of the mark of the preaching of the gospel, which we focus on this morning, is an active duty we might get the impression that when the Catechism, or rather the Belgian Confession, describes the preaching as a mark of the church, it would be similar to the sign outside, perhaps, that indicates this is the name of our congregation. It speaks of our association and our membership in the Protestant Reformed churches in North America. It is information that you can read on the sign outside or perhaps on a web page on the Internet. And that's all that it amounts to. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that that mark of the true preaching of the gospel isn't a sign of information, but it is a living, active mark described by the Catechism here and based on Scripture as a spiritual power. When it speaks of the preaching as a key, it is something to be put into the lock and turned. It is something to be 
administered and exercised faithfully in the church of Jesus Christ. And as we'll see in the sermon, it is the chief means by which God is pleased to accomplish his purpose among men in the history of the world, among his people. It is the chief means by which the church is built up and strengthened in the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, the means by which God pulls down the strongholds of Satan to release his captives and to draw them into the fellowship, into the body of Jesus Christ. It is the chief means by which God is pleased, according to what we read in Acts 2, verse 47, God is pleased to add daily to his church such as should be saved, according to his eternal purpose in Christ. And so we consider this morning, beloved, that powerful key of the preaching of the Holy Gospel. Notice, first of all, what it is. Secondly, how does it function? And thirdly, answer this question, is it really necessary for us? The kingdom key of the preaching of the Holy Gospel, its identity, its function, and thirdly, its necessity. The preaching of the Holy Gospel, or the preaching of the Word, is summarized by the Catechism as that spiritual work fulfilled then made very plain in the very first statement in question and answer 84, according to the command of Christ. Where did Christ command that? Well, one place where Christ commanded that the word be preached is in Matthew 28, verse 19, regarding the coming of his kingdom and the work and the service of his kingdom, the church has king and queen servants of Jesus Christ must go, ye therefore, and teach all nations. That command was not given to the world. Certainly not. The command wasn't given to individuals, although there were individuals standing before Jesus when he gave them that commission. They were the apostles, the representatives of the church. God gave that command to his New Testament church. The church must fulfill that command of Jesus Christ to preach his word in her local pulpits or where the Lord may be pleased to send that word in mission work. And By that, the New Testament church must teach all nations Understand that that command of Christ doesn't mean we as a congregation at this time in history must feel the weight of teaching all nations today. But the New Testament church, under the guidance of the Lord, by his spirit, has that command, has that duty to bring the gospel, to bring the word to the nations. Draw people by that word into the church service of what the Lord teaches at the end of Acts chapter 2, he adds daily to his church, according to his purpose in Jesus Christ, such as should be saved, who should be brought to 
repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That command, beloved, to the church and to us as a church comes from none other than Christ himself, the King, in glory. This is not a human tradition. This is not something that men invented and thought, well, this would be a good thing to do. In fact, when we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the world's view or man's view of preaching, this would be the last thing that man would choose and we would choose even. Christ commands us to preach the word. That command originates in him because he, over the church, is our chief prophet and teacher. And when Christ ascended up into heaven, he was not going to have his voice no longer heard in the earth, as it was through the Old Testament in the prophets and then himself personally, and now his voice would no longer be heard as he ascends up into heaven. Our chief prophet and teacher ordained that his apostles The church would continue to preach his word so that his voice, through that means, might be declared, be made known in the earth for the gathering, the maintenance, the protection of his church and the coming of his kingdom unto the end. That statement that key of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the gospel is commanded by Christ implies a few things. Number one, his word must be preached. By the foolishness of preaching, the word of Jesus Christ must be brought so that those who are are ordained into eternal life may believe. And it's for that reason Paul turns to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and says to him, Timothy, preach the word. That's your work in the service of the church so that the church may fulfill her calling to be a pillar and ground of the truth, which he mentions in 1 Timothy. Preach the word. And those who must preach the word, secondly, must be sent by Christ. They may not appoint themselves and say, well, I think today I'm going to be the minister and we'll just have the other minister take a break and go on vacation and one of us will decide to preach this morning. The Lord says in Romans 10 verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? Sent by Christ, through the church, through the process of calling, as you experience, consider the trio, pray earnestly that the Spirit will guide the congregation to choose one, and if it's the Lord's will, may grant that pastor to us. But that's the way the Lord sends through the church, one whom he has appointed, not whom we have appointed or we've decided, He appoints to serve his sheep in his church. 
Then thirdly, preaching the word by those who are prepared, sent, ordained, and trained, and proven, the church then is accountable to Christ for this work. We stand before the question, was that key, the preaching of the gospel, administered properly in our congregation? We are accountable to our Lord. Was it preached faithfully here or in mission fields where the Lord may have been pleased to send us and to use us for the gathering of his church? He is the king. It's not our church in the sense we own the church. It belongs to him. and He has ordained and commanded we must preach his word. Understanding we are his servants. Now the catechism goes on. We must move on to look at the description of that activity of preaching here, which is described in the second line in answer number 84. It is declared and publicly testified. We learn by that statement that preaching is not a number of things. When the Catechism describes this as declaring and publicly testifying, remembering that the one who sends the church to do this work is the King, the Lord of glory, the Sovereign One, the Almighty One, then we understand this work of preaching is not, first of all, an offer of salvation. The minister is not to be sent to say well, this is what Jesus did. He died for, for everyone and leaves it up to you to decide whether you will be saved or not. That's not what the Catechism teaches by that statement. Christ does not come secondly then through the preaching in his voice to plead with you, to beg, to come on his knees and say, oh, would you please, please listen to me and believe what I say. And so the minister has to prod and to push, and use all kinds of rhetorical devices to try to convince and get the people to listen. No, that doesn't fit with the truth that the one who sends his word, whose voice is declared as the king of glory. Thirdly, that means it's not a time for entertainment. And the Apostle Paul in the fourth place teaches this work of preaching was not intended also to be a private matter. That's emphasized here in the Catechism by the word publicly. When Paul stood in Acts chapter 26 before Festus and King Agrippa, Festus said to Paul after his very clear explanation and presentation of the word and the gospel, he said to Paul, you're mad. A little later, King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And in that exchange between Paul and the two kings, the governor and the king, Paul explains that this thing which God has done in the sending of his only begotten son and his resurrection from the dead was not 
done in a corner. You men, governor and king, you know, you've heard about what was going on in Palestine. And now you've heard it from me. You've heard the word explained to you and expounded to you. Because that's God's intention with the preaching of the gospel. That it be publicly made known. Very publicly. Preaching of the word is a very public testimony of the word of God. To be cast forth or sent forth publicly and promiscuously without distinction. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, you must teach all nations, not just one or two and three or four, or all nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue, without prejudice. And declare that word with authority, the authority of me, the king. Preach my word and authoritatively call sinners to repentance. And declare to them that they must believe the promise made known in the word. That's the duty of the church. Preach the word. Ministers, consistories, congregations must answer to the king. Not, how many people did you win to Christ? question in this work we must answer is were you faithful to preach my word in my name declaring publicly authoritatively my word now we must be careful of course and take heed that the content of that preaching is Catechism teaches the holy gospel, the good news, not just any good news, but the good news which makes known the glory of the holy, holy, holy God. You see, first of all, the content of that preaching is made known very clearly as we read in Isaiah chapter 6. That vision which Isaiah sees That is in summary what Isaiah must in the rest of the book of Isaiah and the rest of his ministry as a prophet must declare to Judah. He must declare Jehovah's name. And that name of Jehovah isn't merely a, a label, but that name of Jehovah is his glory as the thrice holy God the God devoted to himself and his goodness and his infinite blessedness, the God who does all things after the counsel of his will, that truth of that Jehovah he must proclaim. And really today, that's still what the church must preach, isn't it? We must not preach the glory of man we don't preach the good news of what man can do to save himself? Of course not. The truth, the word we must preach, as taught in Isaiah, is the glory of Jehovah, the thrice holy God, 
was consecrated to himself infinitely, unchangeably to his purpose in Jesus Christ for the salvation of his elect remnant and his people whom he gathers to himself by the work of the mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, gathering us into that covenant of grace and making us new creatures in Christ Jesus who do become alive in that life of Jesus Christ by the Spirit unto good works of praise and thankfulness to the glory of Jehovah. And that truth, beloved, God has revealed to us today in the Holy Scriptures. We preach the word, we make known that gospel as revealed in Scripture. Now the Catechism also reminds us that that Holy Gospel out of the infallibly inspired Scriptures is preached in the form of promise. It reminds us that yes, God has surely established our salvation in Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his only begotten Son for you and me. Established the foundation of our salvation and in the resurrection raised him from the dead as a seal of our justification and a pledge of our immortality and glory with him in the covenant of grace. But do we have today that full salvation in the resurrection of the body? No. Do you have your final home? No, we don't in this life. Do you and I have the full deliverance from the, the old nature, that corruption of our sin? No. We heard the Ten Commandments. We gave account of ourselves before the Lord, thinking of what's happened in the past week, and no, we've fallen far short of his word and the love which we must give to him and to the neighbor as ourselves. No, we don't have that full deliverance yet from the corruption of our sin and the wrestling with the guilt of our sin. But nevertheless, the Lord declares in the promise what he will do and continue to do for you, in you, and through you. He promises to us a full, complete, unchangeable salvation. It is absolutely sure, sealed by God's own oath, so that Jehovah will be your God, and you must be his people, for the sake of Christ, by the power of his Spirit, and by the word of the exercise and the administration of that holy gospel, God and his mysterious grace, his wondrous grace, draws us closer and closer to the day when we have that salvation in its full glory, full revelation. Between there and here, by the Holy Spirit, God continues the outworking of that which he has promised to us. And now regarding that function then of that key, of the preaching of the gospel, have a twofold effect. The Catechism teaches 
which can be illustrated by the figure of the key itself. Scripture has us think of the key of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the gospel, or the key of Christian discipline, and think of a large city like the city of Jerusalem, and imagine that that city had only one gate, a very large gate. Two keys, preaching, discipline, are able, though they're different in their shape, their color, their size, both are able to unlock or lock a very large gate which can be opened and shut. God has taken those keys and entrusted that to the gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers must observe the people in the city and observe whether they belong. And if there's someone in the city that doesn't belong, to usher them out, unlock the gate, open the doors, and send them out. Other gatekeepers must be on the walls, looking outside the walls and observing those. And if there's anyone that looks like they belong in the city, to open the doors to let them in. And to keep those out who don't belong in the city. That's the picture or figure that the Lord gives to us, which applies to the work of the church. Christ has given to the gatekeepers in the church, the elders and the pastor, these two keys. The preaching of the gospel and also Christian discipline. And they have the spiritual power to open and to shut. To bring in, to send out. To keep in, to keep out. That power the Lord gave to his disciples. A power which is, perhaps we don't reckon with that, but it should make us tremble. It's tremendous. Jesus said concerning the exercise of these keys, what is done on earth is so done in heaven. Those put out of the kingdom by one of those two keys, or both, it is so done in heaven. And those brought in and kept in by those keys, it is so done in heaven. Illustrates the high regard we must have for Christian admonition, Christian discipline by the elders of the church and by the preaching of the gospel through the minister of the word under the oversight of the consistory. They have functions which affect our souls and have lasting effects upon us and our souls. How then does that key of the preaching of the gospel function with regard to unbelievers and believers? The Catechism explains that to us on the basis of Scripture. With respect to unbelievers, Preaching is a means to put them out of the kingdom and shut the door so they don't come in and pollute those within Zion. Who are those unbelievers? Well, the unbelievers are those who by their personal conduct or by their confession do things or say things in what they think the truth is that are opposed to to the word of Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom of heaven. They 
do things or say things which are opposed to the Holy Scriptures. They do not follow the commandments of God. In unbelief, they reject God's commandments, and in their unbelief, they embrace their own commandments, whatever they may be. Or regarding doctrine, the Scriptures teach, for example, God made the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days. There might be a believer, rather an unbeliever, in the New Testament church who said no. The truth is that God made the heavens and the earth in millions of years through evolution. The catechism would say that person is an unbeliever. And by the faithful exercise of the key of the preaching of the gospel, those unbelievers are exposed before the Lord. Their views on what the truth may be or their Practices in life are exposed under the light of the word of God to be in error. Not because the minister says so, but because the word of God so declares they're erroneous. Then, in addition to that, the word of God, which comes and exposes the errors, commands them to repent of those errors and turn from that way of unbelief and believe in the promise of the gospel and the truth in Jesus Christ and out of that truth by faith to live within the paths of obedience to the commandments of God. And according to Galatians 5 verse 21, which the catechism also teaches, those who do not sincerely repent, they stand exposed to the wrath of God. Galatians 5, verse 21, it's very sharp. That they which do such things maintain false doctrine and heresy after repeated admonitions and explanations from the word saying, no, I'm going to hold on to that view or I am not going to change my way of life. I'm going to walk contrary to the commandments of God. To those, it must be declared that they shall not inherit kingdom of God. Unbelievers who refuse to turn from their sin, as the catechism teaches, they will not repent. They will not turn. The preaching serves for those who are not God's people, the reprobate, the carnal. That preaching will harden them. They will continue in their rejection of the word. They will resent the admonition of the elders, but also in the preaching of the gospel, resent the truth. They'll be irritated by it. Soon they will no longer attend the worship services, whether in the local congregation or on the mission field. They will turn their backs to the word and, no, I don't want that. I want this, which is more palatable to their own wisdom and thinking. Isaiah chapter 6 warns us of that. When the word goes out in the New Testament and we see unbelievers hardened under the preaching, that ought not to surprise us, according to what the Lord says in verse 10 of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is commanded, make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, shut their eyes, 
lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. God intends that there be that effect in the preaching. Just as Jesus says in Matthew 11, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hid these things of the kingdom of heaven from the wise and prudent. Their eyes have been shut, even though the truth is made very plain in the parables. They will not see it, and they're hardened by that exercise of the word which is preached, and they will leave. They will disassociate themselves from the fellowship of God's saints. Positively, that same uh, key of the preaching of the gospel serves for the child of God, for the believer and his believing household to keep us in and to guard us from that which is without in the world of unbelief and sin. The preaching of the gospel declares to us the promise of the gospel declares our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ which was shed for us and that in him we do have an eternal covenant of grace with the Father and that we do have before the Father by faith alone imputed to us righteousness which doesn't change and that for Jesus' sake you and I are heirs of everlasting life in glory and promise that from here to there God will work in us and dwell with us by his spirit and sanctify us and preserve us unto that glory. And the preaching calls us to believe that promise with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and to turn from our sin and to loathe our unbelief and sin and to delight in all that the Father has shown us in Scripture to be in harmony with his holiness righteousness, and truth. And that key of the kingdom brings us to faith. It more and more works in us true understanding, true conviction in Jesus Christ of the truth that is not just true for others, but also for us personally. I belong to him in body and soul. And I am now more convinced than I was before that yes, because his mercy does endure forever, he has not forsaken me. I do and will and must belong to him in body and soul now and forever. Through the exercise of that key, you and I are more and more built up in the true riches of the city of Zion. Further, by this key, we're also kept, preserved from being tempted to leave. Because of the unbelief here, because of our sinful natures, it's easy for us, as we often know, to become wayward. We're attracted to the world. We covet. We're not content God, with Christ, with his word, what God gives us in life and the pathway in which we must receive these things as content children of the Father? No. 
live in the church and we like to look over the wall into the world and oh, how nice it would be to live like them. Just for a little moment. For a little moment, wouldn't it be nice to be God? To determine what would be good for my life. But the exercise of the key of the preaching of the gospel shuts the door to that, beloved. We who are prone to wander are rescued by the word of Jesus Christ, by the voice of Christ, out of that unbelief. And in the midst of temptation, to resist that call of the devil to come out and to join in the kingdom of darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ powerfully, through the means of the preaching of the gospel, keeps us within the city of Zion, within the kingdom. He works in us that true faith out of which we walk faithfully in his commandments. Does it work, beloved? The catechism is sure it will. It says, it will be evident whenever God's people receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith. Notice very carefully that the catechism doesn't say accept. See, that's the language of the doctrine of faith. Faith, of which Christ is the author and finisher, receives the promise by the working of the Holy Spirit. When that word is preached, we receive that truth. An example of that would be the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, who, hearing the preaching of Paul, received by that true faith the promise of the Holy Gospel as it was preached to him and his household and was sealed to them in baptism. So the Lord today works in us through this exercise of the preaching of the gospel, that faith, which receives the promise, embraces that promise, embraces the Lord, which faith always does to our salvation and prosperity. That underscores, beloved, then the necessity of the exercise of the key of the preaching to us. The Catechism says in the second line, this key must be exercised to all and every believer. Not just to all believers, which would be a true statement. The Catechism, on the basis of Scripture, goes beyond that in describing the object of the exercise of the key positively as all and every believer. No exceptions. None of us are the exceptions. We may come to church and think, well, I'm a believer and I really don't need the preaching. I can tune out or read a book or I can stay home. To all and every believer. Now, whether that is true or not, that has been questioned in the church world today. So that as a congregation, this confession is something we must maintain. We must fight for the faith that is expressed here in the catechism. Not everyone in the church world is convinced that to all and every believer, the word, the preaching of the gospel must be administered. Replace the preaching with various other things. Or even teach 
There's really no office of the minister of the word in the church or office of elders. Everybody's a minister. And we have this new strategy, they say, where we must have a discipleship movement. You're a disciple and you must have your 12 disciples just like Jesus had his 12 disciples. And through this means and strategy, this will gather the church. No. On the basis of scripture, Jesus commanded through Paul to Timothy, preach the word. Or to the apostles and to us, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. How are the sheep, how are the lambs fed? By the word of God, through the under-shepherds whom Christ sends into the flock, through the church. That's the means by which the Lord works faith and brings us to repentance and faith in him. As difficult as it is to produce two sermons a week, sometimes three, week after week, through a ministry, as difficult as it is for us to come to church to listen to two sermons every Sunday and to sit before that exercise of the key of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching, and which, which appears to be a very uncomely means, it's not flashy. Nevertheless, we must believe and submit to the word of Christ that this is how he will gather and maintain and preserve his church. Because this means is most certainly that which upholds and doesn't distract from that promise of the gospel which shows the undeserved, unearned, and unconditional wonder of our salvation. Through this means, as God said to Gideon, you and I will never have opportunity to boast that, well, by our arm of flesh, we saved ourselves. No. All that we are, individually as children of God, as a church of Jesus Christ, we owe to him, Jehovah, the God of our salvation. Every believer, every believing household needs this key exercised for our salvation, for our hope in this life of hopelessness, for our only comfort in this life of misery. We need to be brought week after week to Christ crucified and risen again. That is your only hope this life. That's it. Therefore, beloved, then you must pray. God continue to give you that which we take for granted week after week. But there's a minister behind the pulpit and he brings to us the word of God. And God brings us under that preaching. How easy it is to take that for granted. We must pray that God forgive our sin. Taking that really which is part of his wonder for granted to feed us by the miracle of his grace with his word through the weak means of the preaching of the gospel. Pray that God grant you a faithful under-shepherd. Pray that God grant laborers for the harvest, for the harvest is great. 
Not only pray, beloved, be busy training. By faith in this hope of the promise, training your children in the fear of the Lord, training your sons for the offices of the church where this key is exercised, and training your daughters to be faithful office-bearer wives. Within that path of obedience by faith, then you may expect that the keys of the kingdom of heaven, chiefly the preaching of the gospel, that will not be hindered by us, but rather it will flourish in our midst to the praise and the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. O most merciful and faithful Father in heaven, Forgive, Heavenly Father, our sin for taking for granted that thou in thine infinite mercy and thy wondrous grace gives to us week after week an oasis under thy word so that our souls may be fed, our hunger and thirst may be satisfied with the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ alone. We may be motivated, encouraged, and built up by the Spirit to walk again through another week not by sight, but by faith in Jesus Christ, in all obedience, within all obedience to him, according to thy commandments. Lord, make us faithful. Sustain us by thy spirit through this exercise of the key of the preaching of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.